millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Congratulations, true crime addicts. We've survived another week. It's Friday, December 10th, 2021. And these are your top true crime stories in the world. Jussie Smollett. The trial is ongoing. This is up in Chicago. Jussie Smollett, if you didn't know, uh, is an actor, was an actor, will probably continue to be an actor after all this in some, in some fashion. He uh, was on that show Empire. Uh, A verdict is expected at any moment. By the time you listen to this, later on on Friday, it may have already happened. A verdict is expected in the Jussie Smollett case. Um, Jussie is accused of making up a hate crime. It's a very strange case here. Uh, He made up, uh, they're, they're alleging that he made up a hate crime where he was beat up by a couple guys in Chicago back in January of 2019. Now, I know January 2019 feels like about 20 years ago, but let me refresh your memory. In January 2019, uh, everything was ramping up for the presidential race still. Um, It was uh, intensely fierce. We were on the cusp of this COVID pandemic, and there were a lot of people saying that the MAGA group uh, behind Trump were doing some despicable things. And so when we heard that Jesse Smollett, this African-American actor, was beat up in Chicago by a couple MAGA guys, uh, it wasn't that much of a stretch of imagination. But there were odd details about the story. For instance, uh, Smollett, he said they used anti-gay slurs while they beat him up. They put a noose around his neck. I mean, they went, they went to an extreme, and they poured bleach on him. Now, the police have accused him of making all this up as like a plea for attention and notoriety, maybe to get into new TV shows and and movies and things like that. It's a weird way to do it. Um, Eventually, they identified the suspects, these two guys that 
allegedly uh, or who have now admitted to to beating up Jesse Smollett. And turns out these two men, Smollett knew, and they had met on the set of Empire, that TV show he worked for. CNN is reporting from this week uh, that these two men are uh, their brothers, actually, Bola and Ola Osendero. And they testified this week that Smollett actually directed them to fight him and paid him for the attack. And uh, in a rare move that is becoming more common in these high-profile cases, Smollett took the stand in his defense. He got up on the stand that normally when you're, you're a defendant in a high-profile crime like this, it can only hurt you if you take the stand. But he got up there, said, you know, he was really beaten up. This is not an act, uh, which is, it gets meta, right? Because he is an actor, so we know we can act. Uh, anyways, he faces... Six felony counts of disorderly conduct and making false reports to police. Now, those are felony charges, which is weird. I've never heard of a felony count of disorderly conduct before. Um, normally, I think those would be misdemeanors. Maybe it's the severity of it or, or the number of counts here. But I don't think, even if he's convicted, I don't think he would go away for very long. Uh, by the way, his story kind of fell apart when the police did their work and located these suspects because the two men that beat him up were also African-American. And uh, it's really hard to believe that a couple African-American gentlemen from Chicago were walking around with Trump hats. It just it just doesn't happen. The trial of Ghislaine Maxwell is still ongoing this week. And uh, like I predicted, there's lots of twists and turns every day. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell stands accused of procuring underage girls for Jeffrey Epstein, the uh, the secretive uh, uber-rich guy who had the private island and the jet he called the Lolita Express. And, uh, you know, she's accused of bringing him these underage girls to play with, uh, not just at the island but other, other locations. And uh, there's a lot of rich and powerful people connected to this case that Epstein had invited over, lots of politicians, uh, both Trump and Clinton on this list. Um, Epstein, by the way, uh, died in 2019. I'm putting this in quotes, committed suicide. Um, I don't know that we'll ever fully know what really happened in that, that jail cell, but Epstein is dead. Ghislaine is alive and facing the heat. Um there was a woman that testified this week, one of the girls that were procured, allegedly. She was 14 years old at the time. Her name, uh, she goes by her first name, Caroline. Caroline says the Ghislaine groped her when she was 14, and that she gave Epstein private sexual massages two to three times a week for four years until she was about 18 and realized that she was too old for this guy. Ghislaine allegedly took photographs of these encounters, these sexual massages. And on the stand, this is where the bombshell happened with, with Caroline's testimony. She says she saw a photo in the house of Ghislaine, and she was nude and pregnant. And when that happened, I mean, that's what everybody was reporting on. Not, you know, is it is it our business to know that? Does it have anything to do with the case? Maybe. If this is in fact true, who's the father? Is it Epstein? Is it somebody else in this circle? 
Uh, and was it kept quiet? If there is a kid, where's the kid? Ghislaine is very good at hiding. And I mentioned this last week. She is from, like, there's rich and then there's uber rich. And the uber rich are very, very, very quiet. And she was able to hide from the FBI for a while in, in New Hampshire, like Walter White from Breaking Bad, uh, until they found her. So it's not out of the realm of our imagination that she could have gotten away with, with something like having a kid that nobody knew about. So it's it was a weird bit of testimony that came out, and it's in there for a reason. And I suspect prosecutors will be coming back to that. Uh, this uh, So ongoing there. Um, Scott Peterson is in the news again. This is kind of a, an older case. I didn't realize so many years had gone by for uh, what happened with Scott Peterson. This was back in 2002. Um, so some of you that are listening weren't even born then. That blows my mind. Uh, it seems like just yesterday I was hearing about this case on the news. It was everywhere. It was a huge case. Here's what happened. This week, Scott Peterson managed to trade his death sentence for uh, a new sentence of life in prison after a resentencing hearing that happened in Redwood City, California. Uh, Scott was tried for the murder of his wife, Lacey Peterson, and their unborn child, Connor, in 2004, and he was found guilty. He was sentenced to die by lethal injection. There was an automatic appeal in California. That's what happens whenever there's a death penalty case. And this time it worked out in Peterson's favor, uh, reducing that sentence to life in prison. Although I would argue that in some cases, that could be worse than than the death penalty itself. Here are the facts of the case. Uh, the last time anybody saw Lacey Peterson, besides Scott, uh, was December 23, 2002, when she went to a salon where her sister worked and got a, got a new haircut. And there was some conversation there. The sister remembers seeing her. Um, Scott said he was going golfing the next day, even though temperatures in that area were ranging in the 30s very cold to go golfing. They lived in uh, Modesto, California, by the way, uh, east of San Francisco. Uh, Lacey disappeared officially the next day, which was Christmas Eve. A neighbor found their golden retriever wandering around the neighborhood, returned it to the house. Lacey wasn't there. Scott came back, claimed that he didn't know where Lacey was. Um, when police got into the house, they found a phone book open to a page that was advertising defense lawyers. Turned out Scott didn't go golfing after all. Uh, he actually took his boat out at Berkeley Marina the day that Lacey went missing. At 5.15 uh, that day, Christmas Eve, Scott called his mother-in-law and said Lacey didn't come home. The stepfather then called police and, and the search was launched. Uh, the police quickly found out that Scott was having an affair uh, he said he, this this woman that he was having an affair with uh, didn't really know he was married and didn't know his full story. He told her that he was single, and this was the first holiday he was spending without his wife. This was before the murder, by the way. On April 13th, a few months later, 2003, the baby's body was found. Um, found in the water north of Berkeley Marina, Lacey's torso was found the next day on the shore, badly decomposed. Scott has maintained his innocence ever since, and uh, only just lately in the last couple of years, on podcasts and blogs and online, there's been rumblings that Scott Peterson might not be guilty, although the evidence is surely 
compelling. Um, people that don't believe he's guilty point to these reports of burglaries in the neighborhood right before Lacey disappeared and the fact that her dog was out. So the theory goes that Lacey was out walking the dog when she was attacked and murdered. And then that person heard that Scott Peterson was in the marina and then moved the bodies there. It's a stretch. Uh, so next up, this isn't quite over with Scott Peterson. He got his life sentence. Next up, the judge is going to weigh the option of a new trial. He could get a completely new trial. Bit of a long shot, but it's a possibility. The argument is a member of the jury on that first murder trial did not disclose that she was a victim of domestic abuse. Remember, there's this process at the beginning of any trial called voir dire where the attorneys get to interview potential jurors to see if they have any bias. And apparently here, they were looking for victims of domestic abuse, thinking that, well, clearly they would have a bias against uh, this man who alleged to have, have murdered his wife and cheated on her. And so that might be enough for a new trial. We shall see. And those are the top stories this week. I will be back in two and two uh, with some cold case updates in the Delphi murders case and many more. My name is Sergeant Jeremy Pierce, the public information officer with the Indiana State Police out of Lafayette Post. While investigating the murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German, detectives with the Carroll County Sheriff's Office and the Indiana State Police have uncovered an online profile named Anthony Schatz. Major news this week in the cold case murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German, known as Abby and Libby, who were murdered on February 13, 2017. Their uh, murders unsolved to this day. Um, I got to know Kelsey German, uh, Libby's sister, through CrimeCon. And uh, I did a little VR investigative series on this case a few years ago. You can find the link uh, in the info for this this episode. Um, here are the facts of the case first in case you haven't heard about this. But this is a pretty big case. I imagine you have. This uh, occurred on the afternoon of February 13, 2017. Abby and Libby were dropped off on this trail um, near uh, Delphi, Indiana. It's a beautiful trail. It's a hiking trail. People use use it to you know jog around. If you take the trail far enough, you get to this uh, dilapidated, abandoned, shut down, cordon off bridge. This old trestle bridge, uh, Monon High Bridge. And uh, when I went out there to report on this case, I tried to walk on that bridge, and I my body physically wouldn't let me. Like my whole body was shaking. It's so it the pictures don't do it justice. It's so incredibly high, and the boards are warped. Some boards are missing. If you fell from that height, you'd surely be dead. Um, but Abby and Libby were familiar with it. We're familiar with the area, and and as kids do, they're kind of fearless. They walk across the bridge, and they see a guy walking towards them across the bridge, and. They're smart enough to capture the moment on Snapchat. And that's why we have pictures of this guy who people have come to refer to as Bridge Guy. This uh, Bridge Guy is in like a bulky coat, maybe wearing a hat, maybe not. 
um, and he's kind of shuffling along. They also have his voice on audio, that down the hill that's that's been said a lot that uh, you know it's been popular. I think there's a podcast actually. I think that's the name of the podcast. So um, while investigating the case, here's the news this week. Detectives announced that they have uncovered an online profile of interest. And I think that might be the first time that this this wording has kind of been used, this online profile of interest. The first time we have a, a – well, I'm sure it's happened before, but I've never thought of that before. We always have persons of interest and suspects. Now you could just have a profile of interest. This, And uh, the profile was on Snapchat and Instagram and went by the name of Anthony Schatz. Anthony Schatz was a profile that showed pictures of a very young – a handsome male model, and the people that would interact with this profile figured that that was those were real pictures, and not that they were being catfished, which is the case here. And uh, the Daily Beast is reporting that this chiseled young male model, he actually works as a police officer in Alaska, has nothing to do with anything. Somebody just stole his pictures, and uh, this Anthony Schatz was using his photo. For their profile, and, and he would use it to solicit nude photos of underage girls on Snapchat and Instagram. Immediately after the news was released, online sleuths quickly discovered that 27-year-old Keegan Anthony Klein was the one who created the fake profile, Anthony Schatz. This man is from Peru, Indiana, kind of a roly-poly guy, um, looks... You know, it's hard to tell from the photographs on the bridge, but, you know, people are saying, you know, the looks are similar. Uh, it's unknown right now if they're looking at this this profile, which means looking at Keegan Klein as a suspect or as somebody who knows the suspect or somebody that has more information. There's still little to go on. Uh, Klein is currently in jail, by the way. He's awaiting trial on child porn charges. He's already admitted to receiving 100 uh, over 100, sexually explicit photos and videos. And that's from a 2020 arrest. Now, records, police records show that Indiana State Police and the FBI searched Klein's home on February 25th, 2017, just 11 days after the murders. It's unclear, though, if they checked his house, if they searched his house, related to the Abby and Libby case, or if it was related to these, uh, the solicitation of photos on the internet. But how strange is that? Uh, he might have sort of been on their radar since 2017. Now, why now? Why are they coming out with this profile now? Did they know before they released this information that was connected to Klein? I don't know. Uh, so, anyways, that's the update in Delphi. It's, it seems like the most important update we've had in that case in years. Another cold case update and another win for citizen detectives. Here you go. WKRN reports that Jeremy Sides, who is a diver and Navy vet with a YouTube channel about helping solve cold cases, has solved another cold case. His YouTube channel is called Exploring with Nug, which is not what I thought it was going to be about at all. It's about him diving, looking for, for cars, uh, but interesting, strange name there, but good for him. Uh, so here's what happened. Uh, Sides was diving in the Calf Killer River 
in Sparta, Tennessee, when he found a uh, vehicle. Uh, inside the vehicle were Aaron Foster and Jeremy Bechtel. And these two young, this young couple, they vanished after leaving a party 21 years ago, 21-year-old cold case. Sides had kind of looked at the case and suspected he knew where the vehicle was. Sure enough, he found it. And uh, it's been a busy year for Sides. Earlier this year, Jeremy Sides helped find the car of a missing man, along with 40 other submerged vehicles in the Cumberland River. And just last month, Sides helped find a car belonging to an elderly woman who's been missing since 2005. What an interesting way to solve these cold cases. Who would think that so many people would accidentally drive into a river or lake um, or what have you? That's like one of my worst nightmares. I have this recurring dream where I'm driving across a bridge that is half submerged in water and then I get carried away. Not a good way to go. Uh, But uh, congratulations to Jeremy Sides. Please keep it up. Uh, and uh, Side says he makes enough off his YouTube channel to fund these searches. So go on and, and like and subscribe him so he can keep doing this. I have an update in the world of genetic genealogy this week. Congrats to genetic genealogist C.C. Moore of Parabon Labs, who this week announced the identity of Broward County Jane Doe. NBC Miami is reporting that the body of this woman was found in a canal in Davie, Florida, just before Christmas, 1975. What an old case. Uh, it's, it's supposed that this woman is likely the victim of murder. Over the last few months, C.C. Moore methodically built out family trees and located relatives using genetic genealogy in these uh, vast databases. She found some relatives living in Indianola, Mississippi. They reached out to these relatives, and they said, oh, yeah, you must be talking about Carolyn Dunn Mowdy, one of our relatives who disappeared in 1975 from Mississippi. So, uh, again, this is the first part of the mystery. They found out who the victim was. Now the work begins tracing back to see who would have had motive, means, and opportunity to kill this young woman. Somebody out there is sweating. I guarantee it. Let's take a quick look at the charts. These, uh, this is from Chartable, who charts the top true crime podcasts of the week. Uh, crime Junkie reigns supreme. As always, friends of the show, My Favorite Murderer, also up there. Um, and number three this week, though, is a podcast I had not heard of before that you might want to check out. Lost Hills, Dead in the Water. And here's the write-up. Lost Hills investigates the dark side of Malibu, California. Beneath a seductive facade... The city of billionaires, celebrities, and surf bums is hiding something menacing. Season 2 takes place in the late 70s and early 80s as Malibu was changing from a low-profile beach town into a celebrity haven full of new money and hard drugs. When a Malibu woman and her son mysteriously drowned, her husband was arrested for their murders and ultimately convicted. But to this day, many people, including the victim's family, claim he's innocent. Sounds pretty cool. Check it out. I like Malibu. When I'm out in L.A., I like to drive through it. I don't think I could even afford to park there. Uh, (laughs) If you work out in L.A., you get a sense of, like, the wealth and also the disparity, by the way. But, uh, you know, you've got the wealthy Hollywood execs, 
and then they have the people that those people look up to and those people live in Malibu. It's it's that's how expensive expensive it is to live there. So, um, yeah, I hope they have good uh, defamation insurance and and don't piss off anybody with a billion dollars. Okay, at number seven on the podcast charts this week is something was wrong. Now this is an ongoing podcast. It's also an Iris Award winning podcast, and uh, it's a it's a an immersive storytelling docu series about the discovery, trauma, and recovery from an emotional, emotionally and otherwise abusive relationships. So uh, this is like the Lifetime podcast of the top 10. Uh, not to knock it. Uh, it, sounds, it sounds compelling. As always, uh, join me on the Repod app, the Repod podcast app. Check it out, download it, have it. Um, each week, I'll answer your questions on there. Shoot me questions. I post little updates and uh, questions for you, too. So join me on there if you can. And that's the news for this week. And it is Friday. And in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, that means we got to, 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 Gotta, 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 get down, damn it. True Crime This Week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime, Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week.